As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to The Making of a Marketer, the podcast that takes you around the world of marketing one topic at a time. Hosted by digital marketing consultants Jess Nickerson and Andy Pondillo. We welcome you to join the conversation. Stream us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Now here are your hosts, Jess and Andy. We are back, the making of a marketer on this fine Wednesday afternoon. Andy Pondillo back with you with our guest host today, Danny Safar, a show that I've really been looking forward to. So we were actually going to do this episode last week. If you heard about some people getting stranded at New York City airports, I was one of them, had quite the adrenaline rush from Monday to Wednesday. I hit up Danny. I said, hey, you know, we're probably have to wait till after the 4th of July holiday. Um, another story for another day, but I made it home safely. We got this show on the road and um, I'm really excited for this episode. We're going to talk some B2B myth busting today. And uh, I will give a intro on Danny first, a short one. Um, and then Danny, I want to look for you for the long intro. So Danny and I, uh, worked together for a year, and we basically held together a B2B department, um, if you will. Um, I was a one-man show, and then Danny came aboard, and we handled LinkedIn accounts, B2B accounts at the agency level, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, and a lot of success, but a lot of water cooler talks. So uh, Jess, who is still out on maternity leave, she should be back in just two weeks now. We'll have our um, Jess back in seat. But the first one, of the first people I said I have to have on the show is Danny, because 
not only have we basically done podcasts off air, but Danny is a mastermind in the sector of B2B business. So we needed you on. We're happy to have you here. And I hope that introduction was to your liking. You boosted my ego so far with that intro. <laughs> uh, that was so kind of you. Um, yeah. Hi, I'm Danny. Uh, currently a digital marketer in the B2B space with a focus in paid social. Um, and like Andy said, a uh, lot of water cooler talk, a lot of strategy and collaboration done off scenes. Um, and I really enjoyed uh, the partnership that we've had in this space. Um, yeah, it's good to be here. I'm excited. Oh, definitely. And, and that's something that's been, I think, as we work through this today, you know, we both have done LinkedIn paid marketing. That's how we combined efforts working together, sometimes in tandem for accounts. Sometimes we are lead on different accounts of pinged ideas off each other. But your experience with LinkedIn versus my experience with LinkedIn were actually quite different. And I think that really helped us because doing paid media, especially in the B2B space, there might be some books that are out there. But as we'll talk today, I don't think there's an exact recipe to B2B marketing and working together and pinging those ideas made us widely successful. 100%. Yeah, I learned a lot from you and I hope that it was reciprocal in the same way. Most definitely. So let's kick it off. Um, you know, probably most importantly, all right, let's let's not do B2B. Let, like, yeah, let's talk about like what's going on with the show right now. So we had a slight delay um, getting this episode off. Thanks to Andy. Thanks to airports. Um, <laughs> but we're here. Next week, I will be on my big roller coaster adventure. So, Danny, a regular feature on this show is we talk about theme parks. So, I'm a big roller coaster person. Jess is a big Disney person. So, we're actually, once I get back from this, we're going to have a series of marketing and theme parks because it's not something I know a lot about and I'm really interested to learn. But I have a road trip coming up. Hershey Park, Dorney Park, Six Flags Great Adventure, and going to the Jersey Shore all in one. So we're really excited. Keep the rain away. But we need your opinion on roller coasters. Is it for you or, or was it a younger you? Is it current you? Like, what's, what's your thought? I loved roller coasters growing up. I really enjoyed that, like, anticipation that would be in your gut as you're kind of, like, cresting over, like, the first hill uh, when you're on roller coasters. Um, and yeah, it was, I think the last time I was even on a roller coaster was in, uh, oh God, what's it called? Universal Studios, um, in LA. And, uh, I think it was like the first time I've been on roller coasters since I was a kid and it's still, it's just as hard. It's still great. Um, although I did notice that as I've gotten older, the motion sickness has kicked in and that is such a bummer. <laughs> you know what we used to do as a challenge as kids is we used to eat lunch and then go on a roller coaster right after to say we did it. Now that's something at 30 plus years old I'm probably not going to do. Um, no. But I'm with you. You know, the motion sickness does kick in more for me now, but it's only the spinny rides. If I stick to just roller coasters, ups and downs, I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did notice that like on like the Hagrid's uh, adventure one, like that one was totally fine because it was a regular roller coaster. Um, but the other rides that were a little bit more spinny, a little bit more, uh, I don't know, spinny. I'll just spinny, say just spinny, spinny rides. Um, those ones yeah, then you have spinny and flippy at the same time rides yes. where it takes it to just like this whole other level. 
Yeah, that I, my stomach did not enjoy quite as much. I definitely had to sit down afterwards and just like catch my breath and just be like, whew, my body's not built for that quite anymore. But roller coasters, I'm still all about them. Well, that's important. So, um, and that we, we already knew that we had a lot of check marks, Danny, but we had never talked roller coasters before. So I had to get that, you know, right, right out of the gate. Like, it, it, are you a fan or not a fan? And, you know, so um, that that's big. So our trip is very centered around roller coasters. We act like we're 12-year-olds and it's going to be a great time. Do you invite use and park food as well? Like, is that a big part of it for you too? Was it mainly... Yeah, we- we like the food. It's just I have to not funnel cake it every day because there's a certain point where 30 year old stomach, like without roller coasters, it just can't handle it anymore. So a deep fried dough covered in sugar and like sugary fruit. No, no, a, a little bit. So I would do a little bit of that. We do have a dining pass at some of our parks. So we do the dining pass and the fast pass. So we're like loaded up on that stuff. But again, it's got to be like, within reasonable um perspectives now where we get unreasonable is hershey park and hershey pa <laughs> so if you're unfamiliar like hershey pa is like the kingdom of chocolate so the whole park is basically like disney world but with chocolate like instead of mickey mouse it's reese's man it's like a willy wonka but without all the kids going missing Yes. Instead of the kids like running around, jumped up on sugar, punching Reese's man and getting a picture with them. But it's a lot of fun. Poor Reese's man. (laughs) I know. I would hate that job. But let's talk some marketing now, Danny. So again, what, what we're doing today, this episode is it's a little niche, you know, if you're a B to beer, it's going to really resonate with you. But, you know, also something I would say, and I think we should hit on this a few times, is that I definitely did a lot more B2C before I got into any B2B marketing. And I do think some of the stuff from B2C came over into B2B and helped me. But I also think some of it I had to throw completely in the trash and and retrain my brain. So I feel like if you're in this game long enough as a marketer, there's going to be at some point where you need to know some sort of B2B. Um, Even outside of agency level, um, I did B2C marketing within the travel tourism industry, but we had some galas, some fundraisers, some, you know, sponsorship opportunities. It was all B2B. And they come to me, hey, Andy, what type of campaign should we run for this organic plus paid? And at that point, I was like, let's throw it at the wall and see what happens. But if I had known, um, sorry, former company, if I had known what to do back to that, I probably honestly could have done a little better. So I think it's good to skill up and kind of leads me into our first topic is B2C to B2B marketing. So Danny, let's talk this through our histories. Like when you started doing B2B marketing, both organic and paid social, was it something where you had to unlearn everything you did before? Or was it something you felt like um, you were able to take some of those attributes from years prior? Oh yeah, it was a bit of a mix of both. Cause I actually started out like I think my first like real job was like a community operations manager at a co-working facility. So that was very much like a B2C type of uh, mentality. And then through networking, I got another position at a software company and they, someone there gave me a chance and let me start running the social media platforms and start running some um, paid social. Um, And then from there, I just kind of like dove in feet first. uh, And really the big thing was I made a lot of mistakes. 
um, made a lot of mistakes and I learned from them um, because I was trying to apply B2C into B2B and it just didn't translate, it didn't work. Um, and then slowly over time through those mistakes, you know, definitely learned how B2B is different than B2C. And like, they do have some similarities for sure. Um, I mean, for instance, uh, there's like a lot of common at like the high levels. So there's like the searching for information, learning about the products, comparing and doing like reviews, like that's pretty similar for B2C and, and B2B. Um, but that's kind of <laughs> where it stops a little bit. Uh, and I always think of B2C is like someone booking a direct flight for one person who's focused on getting to the destination. And then B2B is like a group road trip um, that's taking the scenic route to one destination. So there's like multiple stops along the way, focusing on the journey. Is everybody in the car having a good time? Is everyone enjoying the stops along the way? Do you have the appropriate snacks and music to keep people entertained along the way once you get right. to the destination? And the bonus is just the destination at that point. Um, so from that understanding, like the complexities of B2B um, and just how sometimes just like B2C doesn't really work. The main things that I think that stayed besides like the high level um, things that I'd mentioned is also like content and creative. Like it has to be engaging on both sides of the playing field for that. So let's talk about one thing you said there and content creative. I go on a whole separate podcast <laughs> episode about that. You know, I love that subject. Uh, sure. Learning in B2B. So when you, I would say even for somebody that's experienced in B2B, there's a lot of levers to pull on these paid social channels, the content, the creative, the audience, the ABM list. Is it broad enough? Is it narrow enough? Is our funnel directed in the right format? Does it need split out into multiple locations? Should it be, you know, you know, tight locations? Should it be broad? Should it be both? Like there's, there's so much and something you said, it, it hit my heartstrings. And this is even as an experienced marketer, is you need time to learn. Yeah. Really important thing there, but time equals money. And when we're talking digital marketing, everyday money is being burnt off these ads. So let's talk about that subject for a second, because I have heard the term, we wasted money before mm -hmm. a lot in B2B. And I really think no money should ever be wasted if you're learning from it. Um, I need campaigns as a paid digital specialist a VP of marketing or even a CMO, I need campaigns out in the wild to understand how people are going to react to things. And once I can understand that, I might be able to fine tune after a certain period, you know, but it might take two or three months to get there. Um, and especially me as a professional, I think when I look at agencies, I look at different places they're trying to dabble in B2B. So they'll have like a roster of clients. They'll have, let's say, 38 clients, a lot of e-commerce. That's the hottest thing on social media. Sure, we know that. But then there's an additional 10 clients that are B2B or even e-commerce client A wants to use their other part of the business as their B, B2B. And what ends up happening is there's people double dipping on both sides of marketing. They just need time to learn. And that is something that the expectations, I feel like we are still struggling as an entire 
digital marketing and social media industry in setting expectations as to what a test needs to be, what a time frame needs to be, and what we need to learn during that time frame in order to optimize further. So like this idea, and we'll get to this as we talk about some measurement um, as well, is this the idea is we have to have that period of testing and no money is wasted as long as you're learning. Um, I don't know about you, that was something that was hardest for me going to be to be is I was so used to in a B2C lens needing to see metrics immediately. And I just could not deliver that in B2B. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, how many times have we had those calls where, a, you know, a client joins and they're like, we want leads. And it's like, okay, well, we need to take about four to five steps back um, and like get to the root of why you need those leads and also understanding that, you know, for us paid social specifically on LinkedIn, like it's a long-term strategy. So it's a long-term like sales cycle as well. So expecting a lot of results within a short time frame is not cohesive with like the B2B landscape in general. Um, and so resetting those expectations is very, very important. Um, I mean, if you just think about it in terms of like, <laughs> If you put up an ad on LinkedIn and it's for a, a white paper and you need someone's information, you know, it's like, are you going to give your information to the first ad that you see? It's like, no, usually you're going to need to see it five, six, seven times in understanding who the brand is and what they do and what they're bringing to the table, what pain points they're solving before you even think about giving your information to them. So bringing it down on like one, a humane level of <laughs> just understanding that you're actually trying to reach people in general and not just leads. Like these leads are individuals. Um, and then also thinking about just like the scale of B2B in terms of like timeline, in terms of like uh, sales cycles um, and like resetting those expectations at the forefront when having these conversations, whether it's with clients or like within your team um, is super important uh, because you do get those conversations of just being like, don't want to waste money or like we've wasted money because we haven't generated any leads. And it's like, okay, well, we haven't generated any leads. Well, then that in and of itself is a learning experience. Look at the data, look at the creative, look at the content. Why didn't we generate leads? Like, was the audience not warm enough? Is this the wrong audience itself? Like, are we not looking at the right job titles, the right job functions? Is the company industry wrong? Is the content not aligning to the person in their journey? Are we hitting them more in the consideration bucket when it should be more awareness and top of funnel uh, engagements that we should be looking at? Does it need more nurturing? Um, what's happening in the background for anyone that is turning into a lead? You know, like how are we kind of continuously building this sales funnel so it becomes like a self-serving machine? Um, just blanket saying that you've wasted money, I think is a, a bit of a farce um, in that if you're going into it and you <laughs> expect one thing, or demand one thing and then get the other outcome, like that in the end of itself is like not a bad thing. You should kind of look at it from the other side. And I know there's some senior leaders out there, the, the ones that are that really get B2B will say that if you're, let's say, a you know, new company, small company, startup, et cetera, or even if you're a company that just has never gotten into this marketplace before, will typically say you need to let just 
everything breathe for an entire year while making optimizations and not try to make money off return on investment. You know, no, no ROAS making metrics within the first year. The first year is getting it out there, figuring out who your leads are, figuring out who your customers should be, and then start to go forward with that. I've never found that there's this like a hard number. You know, I've heard this number be thrown around in different places. I don't know your opinion on this, Danny, but I sure as heck know the number can't be pulled a plug in two months because what I always told marketers um, in a B2B space is if you pull my plug completely in two months, whatever that time frame you need for ROAS, just restart it. So if you pulled it in two months, it restarted at two months. And so now if you're going by the year theory, you wait a year. You pull it at, at three or four months completely. Now you're waiting another year from three or four months. So I don't know if you ever, if you had a number in mind that you like, but I, I definitely think that I feel like companies need to have a roundabout number before they start looking at ROAS metrics for B2B. Yeah, that's, oh man, it's like you've been in my calls. It's crazy. Um, and you have been because we've shared accounts. <laughs> we've we've been um, in them. Um, we've had some head scratchers for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that kind of goes back to like, if they want to see results in two months, is that reflective in their marketing funnel? Is that how long it takes for someone from to become like an MQL into an SQL, SQL to SAL, SAL into opportunity? Like, what is the time frame between those steps? Because for instance, let's say we generate leads and they're saying none of these leads are turning into SQLs. And it's like, okay, and then they pull the plug. Maybe the leads that we generated, they won't turn into SQLs for another like three months, four months once they've been nurtured in the back end. You know, it's like what we're doing in that handoff is not reflective of what's actually happening in like their, their marketing funnel, like down the line. Um, and so it does happen when you get the, plug pulled and it's like the clock restarts again. Um, which is why I think the main thing that happens in that is like having an open dialogue with clients and understanding like deeply what's going on behind the scenes from whatever acronym I just spoke out loud, you know, SQL down to opportunity, what's happening, what are the phases and like what content is being uh, brought to the table in those stages because I mean, I think it was Gartner, they have like six different stages in the B2B buying journey where it's like, I read them out here, uh, problem identification, solution exploration, requirements building, supp supplier selection, validation, and consensus creation. That's not going to happen within two months no. um, unless you have a highly effective like sales and marketing strategy um, that's proven to be successful down the line. So um, Gardner even has this amazing diagram that just shows like the B2B buying journey and it is messed up. It's like, it's exceptionally, uh, I'll not curse, but it's, it's messed up when you see the actual B2B buying journey. So, and, and one of the ones for me that really always rang a bell when I was a in-house social media manager, like, you know, there, there's all these different programs, Hey Orca, Hootsuite, Sprinkler, like, Two of them that would always be on it. I ended up going with Hey Orca for some of the efficiency and pricing um, that was available for agencies, but Hey Orca and Sprinkler on it, <laughs> like 
I had never used Sprinkler in my life. Sorry, Sprinkler, but I know it's a wonderful tool because a lot of people do use it and, and really swear by it. Never used Sprinkler in my life. I could tell you every single thing that product does based on how their sales interacted with me, how their social media is, how their retargeting is, how their presence is at conferences and trade shows. I know every single thing that software does. So if they would have gotten me all the way through the opportunity and closed deal stage, sure, that would have been great. But yeah. if I would have been wearing that same hat right now where I have buying power, basically, if I had buying power for a social media tool, those are the only two companies I would go to because mm -hmm. I know them both really, really well. And that's just the ability to, to build through that funnel. So, um, you know, it's just a super long game. And there's just a lot of things that come into play. Something that you and I had um, talked a lot about when we were doing marketing is it was in 2021. So Lifetime 2021 um, landscape is like kind of coming out of COVID, kind of expanding budgets. We're yeah. not sure. By the end of the year, it seemed like mostly things were running as normal. Um, but like, what kind of marketing can we do to a company that just doesn't have the budget for our product? And, and that was the case with a lot of different B2B products. We're seeing that again in 2023, but the what we could do as marketers is we can stay on top of mind and give you the best opportunity to go into battle as sales. Um, but you know, I, I just don't know sometimes when you have that conversation with a company is desperate for you know, leads, conversions, return on investment, they don't want to hear that from marketers. But I think that's a key thing that we always have to remind ourselves on the making of a marketer is you and I, Danny, we're marketers. We know a little sales, but we're marketers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is a very, I mean, I think those conversations can be hard, but they're necessary. Um, like, specifically thinking about examples of when we have clients who want to run lead gen campaigns on LinkedIn, but they only have a budget of like 10 to $15,000. And looking at <laughs> previous campaigns, like maybe they haven't set up retargeting properly. Maybe their content isn't in line with the, the, the funnel that they have set up. Maybe they honestly don't even have the content to work people through the funnel. Um, and so we have to lay down those expectations of like, we are trying to make it as easy as possible to build up that pattern online, uh, because you only have a limited amount of attention span, uh, with people specifically on paid socials. So if you don't have the appropriate funds or the appropriate audience or the appropriate content and messaging that is like cohesive, um, and concise, uh, it's going to be very hard <laughs> to get those leads that you want. Um, and I think it's better in interest for both parties to be like, hey, like maybe this is not the right channel for you guys. Use this money elsewhere where it is more effective. Like mm -hmm. you don't want to waste money. For instance, like maybe LinkedIn isn't the right channel for it. Like maybe check stuff out on Meta or Instagram. Um, or maybe even TikTok, for instance, like if you if cost effectiveness is a concern, LinkedIn by far is the most expensive channel. Um, it has the most tailored targeting and it's definitely the place where you can get the most quality leads, but it is the most expensive. Um, 
And so it's just, it can be hard when you're limited by a bunch of different factors. Um, You know, you know, my thought on this. So as a company and and as a consumer, like you have a certain budget, that's your budget. Like I'm not going to come and try to budge somebody's budget. I'm going to tell them what they need to run a certain channel and what realistic expectations are. But with the whole LinkedIn, Facebook thing, I've always gone to this is that as a consumer, you can go to Walmart, get tons of things, like some of it may be good, some of it might be crap, but you're going to get tons of things there. Yeah. Facebook for B2B lead gen is Walmart. Like you just <laughs> accept you get what you get. And if you have a sales team that can take thousands and thousands of leads and sift through them and find yeah. those diamonds in the rough, you'll find diamonds in the rough at Walmart. Like it's good for that. They do have good stuff, but you might have to buy a lot of different things to find it. Orders LinkedIn, which is Target, which carries a lot of the same things that Walmart does, but generally is just a little bit, you know, better in what, you know, the the quality is. But if you start multiplying it over time, what you got 20 products at Walmart for, you might get 12 products at Target for, but you might get 12 really good products. You just have to make sure you're utilizing the products or messaging your leads properly. Another topic that we love. Yeah, no leads. I mean, LinkedIn as a as a paid channel, I just can't stress enough how useful of a resource it is, but I don't think it should ever be the one resource that a company should rely on. I think that would be kind of crazy if I think about it. People just relied on LinkedIn, you know, like paid social is just one part of the bigger marketing uh, machine. Um, It's expensive, but I generally think that is worth it. Um, It's the targeting is more precise when you're trying to target folks based off of job title, functions, the company size. You can even do company revenue and growth rate. Um, and like you said, there's a lot more levers you can pull for your targeting that makes it an exceptionally valuable resource when you're trying to drive those quality leads that you just might not find on other channels, which might be cheaper, but quality kind of goes down. Let's talk about one big thing that we've hit on kind of in a roundabout ways. And it's, it's talking about, you know, leads not converting, being too expensive, not having enough content. Things like this that we need to make a B2B uh, strategy successful. So how do we tell somebody that? Because I am guilty probably more times than I should have been in my career is saying, hey, this is what they want internally. This is what the client wants internally. Deep down in my soul, I know I probably (laughs) can't make this work on the budget, the content, whatever it may be. And we just might need to pump the brakes and start over. So if you're an agency partner, what if you're just somebody in-house, you're a VP of marketing, you're a director of marketing, you know it's not going to work. How do we tell somebody to pump the brakes? How do we tell a company to pump the brakes internally if we're at an agency that, hey, maybe we don't, we shouldn't spend money on paid media this month because the strategy isn't there. Or can we? Like, that's a, I think that's a loaded question. Yeah, it's like, it's never in my, uh, like, I never want to tell a client to do something. I will advise and I will consult and I will give like best recommendations, but I'm, I will never be like, you need to turn this off right now type of thing. I'm always very much looking for 
how can we go back to the drawing board? Like, what did we learn from this? But in terms of like, when leads don't convert, what I'll usually go to is like, what's going on with the sales team? You know, what's happening with the leads that you have converted, not even just from paid social from other channels. Like, are there other channels that are performing well? Why are they performing better than this one? Is there something that we're not seeing because we have like a very narrow view of what we're doing on paid social? Um, like, uh, if a lead's not converting, like, did we follow up with them within an appropriate amount of time? Um, are they actually meeting the ICP that you guys need? Let's look at opportunities that you guys have gotten from the last like year. What are the common denominators that we're seeing in terms of job title, um, seniority, company size? Is that who we're currently targeting right now? Like, are those things correlated or are they different? If so, we need to adjust our targeting. Um, are there any, uh, intent levels that we're missing with the content? Um, you know, are people converting to book a demo and then they get to the demo and they're just not seeing how we're solving pain points for them. In which case, like, let's go back to our consideration efforts and start doing more case studies, more eBooks, more white papers and showing how this particular company or software can solve those pain points so that then when they do book the demo, they have those conversations and the resources available to like prove their worth. Um, are you arming the sales team with the appropriate content? So when they have these conversations with these potential opportunities, um, they can bring to the table, you know, here's how this particular software can solve this pain point. Um, what does the sales cycle even look like? Is it a good experience for the buyer? Um, there are just so many questions that need to be asked before we even like pump the brakes on a campaign um, that it find it hard to tell someone just straight up, no, it's very much like we can dig deeper. Like we can always find out what's going on. Um, I mean, we've had, we've had conversations with clients before where we found out that leads just weren't even being followed up with. Yep. High quality leads just were being lost. And then all your marketing's done for at that point, because if they've been just sitting there for three months, you know, they don't remember what they even signed up for. So it's like you're restarting again um, each yeah. time. And then also like, what's the retargeting strategy that we have in place for anyone who became a lead or became even an MQL or SQL or somewhere down the funnel? Are they just gone forever or are you guys reutilizing that data and retargeting them and like continuing to educate them because they're not completely lost. They're just a little bit, they're a bit flattered. So, so here's a real life example. I, um, when I consult and now working for LinkedIn, I try to really consult it through the eyes as a LinkedIn customer client prior. Mm -hmm. So a real life example that I see a lot, especially in today's age of, of layoffs, changes, reorgs, like whatever it may be, is that the education level of running the LinkedIn platform could widely differ depending on the user. And if you get someone in new that's using it, you have to have almost a ramp up period of a couple months for them to get really comfortable as to what they're doing on LinkedIn. So what is a control that we can have there is I feel like we need VP of sales, VP of marketing. We need them in the room together and we need them certified in how to run LinkedIn and other digital channels. Do they have to be experts inside the platform? No. Should they know enough 
to lay out a B2B strategy, a frequency strategy, and a full funnel strategy and keep that framework if your director changes, if your practitioners change, if you're getting someone from the B2C side to help out for a couple of weeks, but they've only run Facebook and never run LinkedIn, <laughs> you're hiring someone that's from the e-commerce world and now they're in this world, they're a great marketer, but they need framework of how to run it. I challenge more than, more than anything, I challenge leadership of B2B companies that they need to start understanding the platforms that they're managing as, as well as they can. And what does that mean? It means going through a one to three hour certification course. It means, you know, if LinkedIn, you know, you're, you're a decent spender, they want to wine and dine you, like asking them about helping to build a framework that they can teach and reteach for, you know, their agency partners, for people they work with. I, I really think that the, the inconsistencies within, within orgs right now leads to a lot of these issues because, again, the B2B life cycle, I think, is actually longer than the life cycle of most marketing teams right now. How many, Danny, how many marketing teams do you know right now that are lasting a year and a half without some substantial change within them? Like, I can't name probably any off the top That's of my head a right really now. good point. Then there has to be like a relearning period of all that historical knowledge that just gets lost by the people who were previously running the campaigns or just like had an understanding of the sales cycle in general. Um, that is an excellent point and kind of terrifying now that you've brought that to light now that I think about it. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's good and bad. Like I'll say, let's go pro. The pro, pro in the digital guys. marketing world right now is... There's a lot of people obviously looking for work, but there's still people finding these jobs and they're able to move up and do other things. That's a pro, sure. a little tougher, obviously, in 2023 to maybe 2022. Of course, the con is just there are so many jobs because there's been so many changes. Mm -hmm. And I, I just feel like the tech industry in particular that's always going to be the tech industry. Now, probably not as ha much havoc as there is right now, probably not, but I think it's always going to be the industry. So there has to be some sort of constant for these B2B companies to be able to stick to a strategy, no matter if you're shifting people in and out. Yeah, I mean, that's just so hard. Literally every client or account that I've had, the strategy's been slightly different, you know? Whether it's like content that they have, the audience that they're targeting, like how well they even know their audience or how well they know how their content lines up to the different stages of the buying journey. They're all so, like they all have the similar goals, but there is like these nuanced differences that makes it hard to find like a consistent strategy between them. I think the only one that really sticks out as I think about it a little bit more is just making sure that you understand like the awareness to consideration to conversion buckets and how LinkedIn can be valuable or even just paid social and like digital marketing in general is, is helpful for building those buckets and building retargeting and like nurturing and warming up those audiences so that they become ready to actually like book a demo or even just like download a lead. Um, yeah, that must, that's very hard when you have so many different, different factors changing, especially if just people are leaving and they have all the campaign structure in their head and that's just gone. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, Everybody's going to have a different level, a slightly different opinion. And 
that was something you and I worked on. I think where I felt like we really hit it off is we were both eye to eye in that when we built a B2B strategy within pay digital is that we had a control over campaign groups, campaign number, how much quantity we could realistically handle on an account, Facebook ad sets, you know, ads, all that good campaigns, all that good stuff. But we had a control in which it allowed us to take things out, put things in, spend 50% on this campaign group, maybe 40% next uh, quarter. Like we tried to build this like controlled unit where things could make tweaks on it. So you aren't just like hitting go and letting it go. You're also not doing build and rebuild all the time. Um, so I think that was really important that we instituted that. Uh, but big thing we talked about, we talked about a lot of sales today. So this is something that I'm so thankful. Um, this last year working for LinkedIn, I feel like I've learned a lot about sales because um, I, I definitely partner a lot with our sales org on presentation strategies, things like that. But admittedly, um, I went to broadcast journalism school. I don't have the bro- I don't have the marketing degree. I crashed course like a lot of us did, but I caught up. Um, but even in marketing certifications, like you're not taught sales. Like you just aren't. Like marketers are not taught sales. That's a, I think a hard truth. All of us have to learn, and <laughs> we just aren't taught sales. But should we know sales, Danny? Like should we know an increment of it? Should we know? how to message down funnel and use sales language like is it is it on us to learn it more um you know sometimes i've kind of struggled with that question it's like how much sales knowledge should i really have as a marketer what is am i dipping my toes in too far and making myself responsible for things i don't need to be responsible for yeah i mean i think that absolutely we should be learning more about sales i think that it would be uh, kind of stacking the cards against yourself if you keep those two like factions separated. Um, I've seen, you know, the Venn diagrams of like marketing and then sales and then in between is like where like good business happens. And I think that even that is not what I would like to see is more of like a DNA helix structure where, you know, they're intertwined and they have core attributes connecting the two where it's like content messaging, audience creative, like that it goes both ways, that sales understands what marketing is doing and marketing understands what sales is doing. Um, And that it's on like both parties to work together. Cause if they're not working together then it's just not gonna work in general. Um, But if it's on us to learn sales, I mean, I think it's, it's up to the individual. I think that understanding how sales works will make you a better marketer. And I think that understanding how marketing works will make you a better salesperson. So I think through the the content creative perspective, I think it helps a lot. So let's say we are marketing to somebody that is already an opportunity. So they took the demo, they haven't converted. We've had them on the hook for three months. I've always felt like there's something I'm trying to teach right now is that within our ads, we should be using the same language sales is using in their emails, the same language they're using in their, you know, in-mail messages they're sending, um, calls, like whatever they're using to contact these users. I feel like it should be a very similar language set we're using in our marketing. And, and that really takes both sides working together. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you want it to be as easy as possible for the person to make the decision that 
choosing this particular software is the right choice. And by doing that, you have to make sure that the messaging is cohesive, that they're not getting like different value props, um, that they're not <laughs> getting different, for lack of a better word, like keyword and buzzwords, that the messaging is consistent for each stage of the buying journey so that it's easier for the person to develop that pattern and make it even uh, more engaging on that front <laughs> so that they can convert in a quicker and more effective manner. And as always, always, talk to your people to handle search because yes, you absolutely. will find a lot of copy you can use from search and B2B and your Google Analytics will help you find out what people are searching for. And that is the ultimate hack, even more than chat GPT. Um, okay. That's the ultimate hack is to, what put, to put in your con content creative. Yeah, I mean, like each of those different, you know, departments uh, should be talking to each other and should be learning from each other and like getting best practices and like techniques and understandings of how they all play together. Because at the end of the day, they're all like different cogs in the same marketing machine. They all have to work together in order to produce a tangible result. Um, so yeah, SEO is a big, because like search is intent-based and social is discovery-based. And so understanding even at that level um, will set you apart down the line and understanding how they can work together. So just a few more talking points here, Danny, like th this has been, this has like been therapeutic B2B talk, <laughs> like as always, we, you know, if you have just, if you're not familiar of obviously you would have had to have worked with, with us, you know, if you're not familiar with us, these are just the talks that we had on a day-to-day -day basis working together is, you know, trying to solve these issues. And I think we were highly successful at it. So, um, it may have been uh, it, a little bit more venting, maybe slightly more cursing involved yes. in the ones, but yeah, this is very so a little looser format than this. Uh, but <laughs> you know, we got to the to the end point. So let's go just a, a little bit deeper and yeah. let's talk about you're definitely someone who has seen a little bit of everything in this digital marketing world. You've seen you know when we were doing organic posts and just getting this thing started several years ago. Uh, we were sitting in the corner doing paid media as the lowest spender to mm -hmm. going to where social media is now, where it's one of the big spenders. It's billions yeah. and billions of dollars industry, thousands and thousands of people that work in it, people being asked to do more with less, layoffs, things that are happening right now. What is the perspective from the mental health side right now in the digital marketing world? Um, what is, you know, my personal pulse is that it definitely is fragmented to a certain extent. I think that especially for young people getting in it right now are being tasked to do more with higher stakes than what you and I had to do as a young person. So I feel like we were able to work through some of those kind of early on learnings and put ourselves in a good mental place. But I do have an outside fear right now. Somebody coming into this industry is coming into it at this very chaotic nature and maybe even a veteran, you know, I've handled some accounts, you know, as you know, where we handled accounts where I was like, I just need a week off, like I need days off because my brain's rattled, you know, I am trying to just get a grip on where do we go kind of with the mental health state, but, but from 2023 and 2024 on, you know, where are we and where does it need to go in digital marketing? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, because I mean, for myself personally, like 
I was at the age where like when I first started out in digital marketing and doing paid social, like these platforms were just kind of getting their footing and like kind of taking off. Like Twitter ads were, I think, mainly the thing that I, I was working on as well as some like Facebook, now meta, uh, Facebook campaigns. And so I had the benefit of the platforms developing at the same time that I was learning. So I was able to get a good grasp on how each of the platforms worked, what their benefits were, um, how to utilize them in different use cases, um, and then really digging into LinkedIn over the past like four or five plus years um, and finding it a very valuable resource. I think I've just been very fortunate in how I've been able to work in my career in the digital marketing space, but I do agree that sometimes you get tasked to do more with less and it feels like you're just kind of going an uphill battle that you're maybe not going to crest over. Um, and I, I had a, a mentor at one point who saw me that I was struggling one time and she was like, hey, did anyone die today? And I was like, no. She's like, okay, did you perform open heart surgery? And I was like, no. And she's like, okay it's gonna be okay type of thing as just being like the stakes for us, when you look at it in the like high level, broader scale, yes, we're dealing with a lot of money, you know, yes, our campaigns are running and sometimes you have like product launches that need to go off. Sometimes you have events that you didn't get enough head, uh, like heads up for and you have a webinar that's gonna be in two weeks and you need to generate conversions. Um, otherwise it's a bust and you feel like that's on your shoulders. Um, but kind of taking a step back and realizing that it's just a campaign at the end of the day. Like it's something that you can toggle on and off and no one's on a surgery table. You're not building rockets. Like nobody's lives are on the line and kind of taking like that big step back in a macro sense and just seeing like, okay, I can take a deep breath. I can reassess. You can always close your laptop and like walk away at any point. Um, and to that point, um, Talking openly about mental health, I think is something that has been uh, a big change, maybe since like 2018, 19-ish. Um, people actually talking about mental health and like where they are at work because we only get these small snapshots into people's lives when we're at work. Um, I try to lead with a more humane and like empathetic approach uh, when it comes to my work. Um, or if I'm leading a team, you know, I'm always just like, these are people first and everything else second. Um, so understanding that people need to one, feel comfortable asking for help and that they need to also, uh, get the help that they need when they ask for it. Hmm. Um, because I think sometimes, I mean, for myself, even growing up, I dealt with a lot of imposter syndrome and even like still to this day deal with imposter syndrome. And so like for digital marketers where the stakes feel so high, sometimes it can be hard as someone who's just kind of getting into the space to ask for help or like ask what they think is a dumb question. Um, and I think that you and I have been fortunate in like our past um, positions to be in places where you did get support and you did get help and like mental health was something that was valued um, and almost championed <laughs> in the respect. And, I think that we should be concerned because if people are burning out, which we're seeing quite a lot these days, like they're just not bringing their best game to the table when they do come to work and that people feel that they need to do 
their absolute like 110% best when actually it's just like, bring what you can. Yeah. No one's going to be, at least in my regard, like I'm never going to be pushing people on my team to like pull 110%. I'm not going to be asking you to work like 16 hour work days because that's just, that's bonkers. That's ridiculous. Um, work what you can and then focus on yourself, you know? And, and I love what you you mentioned right out of the gate there is that we're not doing open heart surgery. We're not saving people's lives. And what I feel like is happening a lot in digital marketing is, is I see youngsters are going through school or getting degrees. Heck, you can get degrees in social media now, which is awesome, <laughs> by the way. Um, but I feel like they're looking at this as something that should be fun. And I say this a lot. Marketing and social media is hard work especially on the paid side, but it should be fun. What we do should have a fun element to it. It should not just be grind, grind, grind. And where I think what happens is, is they get into these jobs, they're, they're handling 12 clients at once. Um, something crazy happened at a company. Now they're going into this disaster recovery mode. They're the first person on social media who now all of a sudden has to know how to do crisis messaging. I've done it before. Should Andy Pondello be doing crisis messaging based on my skill level and experience? Absolutely not. I have absolutely no training in it. But these are things that happen to people in this industry. They end up, they, they have that burnout, their crisis messaging. Um, they're working with companies that are living and dying financially, and they try to live or die financially by what you're doing on social media. So they make, you know, almost you feel like you have to save the company, or if we lose this client in an agency, there's going to be a bunch of layoffs. So what I do on social media is I have to save the company. I think that's just so important. What you're saying is that you can't have this life or death mentality mentally, or you're just going to fry your brain yeah. <laughs> trying to, to live like that. I think there's just unique variables all around the board, but that's something that no matter how many years I worked, you know, in digital marketing, that's still something I, st I would say I'm not in the platform anymore. So it helps <laughs> me a little bit not to be that close to it, but I still struggled with that all the way up until I was out of running the platform because there's just so much noise, but I did get a lot better at it towards the end. There might've been one client in particular yeah. um, that rattled my brain more than most, but um, I got better at it at the end. And I think that's just a conversation that, you know, people that work at these places need to have managers, I think also need to be cognizant of and look for those signs um, cause young people may not speak up. You may need to like really work with them and understand what's leading to the burnout. And a lot of these are just different examples that might be unique to each company. Yeah. Something else that I found to be very helpful is to like, uh, that I've seen work is just leading by example. It's just like myself raising my hand and being like, I need to take a mental health day. Like I need to step away and, show that it is possible to like take care of yourself and like set that example of like, hey, I'm feeling like burnt out or I'm feeling overwhelmed. I am taking a day or two days or however long I feel like it, it's actually gonna take me to recoup and reset myself and showing other people like, hey, if you were feeling the same way, you can also take a break. You can also step away. Like you can also ask for help um, and kind of, you know, breaking whatever mental barrier there is for people to feel like they can't ask for help. Um, and also making sure that you're helping to build that community so that when someone does ask for help, they get it because yeah. nothing's worse than someone asking for help and then not getting it. 
because next time they feel like they need it, they're just not even going to raise their hand because they feel like I wasn't heard the last time. Why should I do it this time? And that's um, that quiet quitting thing. That's like a big topic right now, quiet quitting. But the thing, quiet quitting, I get when you're, you know, obviously trying to move your career into a more healthy place. People got to do what, what they got to do for them. When I am hurt, you know, when I see quiet quitting is when I see people who are experts in the field, but leave the field prematurely because they've been run down to a point they're like, hey, I don't want to do social media anymore. And that that hurts me as an ambassador for this industry. I want this to be the best industry it can be. I want us to learn from old school advertising days, like Mad Men. Like I don't, I don't want, I don't want to follow the path of where certain places in marketing have gone. And I'm not trying to like rip other places of marketing, but there, there just have been issues there in the past that have led to burnout. Like burnout has always been extremely common when it comes to marketing and advertising going back decades. And I, I feel like we can try to do better as social media, but you know, it's, it's just a big topic that we'll be talking about 10 years from now too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that it's also, you know, like I said, lead by example, leadership also has to be champions of it too. Um, you know, not praising a 20 hour work week, not praising people staying late because that just sends the wrong message. Um, I think sometimes when people are like, oh, I have to work that hard in order to be recognized, or I have to work that diligently all the time when it's like, no, you can work as best as you can because everybody every day is doing their best because that's who they are. Yep. Um, no one ever tries to do their worst. <laughs> Everyone yeah. is always trying to do their best. And so especially in this that. industry, like people that work in this industry typically really care. Like, I don't think I've met many marketing people like, oh, ho, ho, oh, ho, ho, I work in marketing. Like people traditionally do care about their work. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, being more empathetic, being more humane as it comes to just working in general, I think will go a long way in making sure that people, uh, can be fresh and reinvigorated when they are actually at work as opposed to being burned out and just kind of like checking the boxes of a list of things that they need to do that they're actually being more creative and thoughtful um, requires people to be in a good like mental health space um, and that they feel supported by their work community in doing so. Great topic. I go on this forever, Danny, but we do I have, well, I got one more question for you last but not least. I know we're closing in on time here is it is a decently known fact for our podcast listeners that have been listening for the last several months is our goal for this show. A lot of people have goals. Our goal is we want freaking Tom Tom from MySpace. Like we want him on the show. Like we don't know what, what he's doing, where he's at. He pops up on Instagram every so often. He's usually doing something exotic, taking photos like where is Tom from MySpace? Tom Anderson. So yeah. we need your advice here as our guest host. Is what do you what would you do to get the attention of this guy? I've tried. I've I've DM'd him already. He didn't he didn't respond yet? I got to try harder. But what what can we do to get Tom from MySpace's attention? Um, we need to have a discussion about the social media industry and MySpace in general. And then what do you imagine he's like? Like he, he seems like a really cool dude, but he doesn't say a lot on social media in the last 15 years. So I, I don't know what he's like at all. I had to look up his age because I feel like he's that picture forever, but he's really in his mid forties now, I believe. So, you know, Tom from MySpace. 
Tom is iconic and he is the one person who I know has done social media right. Uh, you know, had an amazing platform uh, left and just continues to be in kind of good standing. Uh, he's everyone's friend, uh, <laughs> just based on how MySpace was set up. Um, I did use MySpace uh, when we had the top eight. Um, he was always my number one spot because it helped to uh, prevent any sort of like drama happening between yep. friend groups of someone being your first. So I was like, no, Tom was always my number one. Uh, so shout out to Tom for uh, keeping my friendships alive by taking the number one space. Um, also shout out to him for providing a platform that allowed me to experiment with HTML. Yeah, uh, that's how we all learn HTML. Yeah. Back <laughs> that's how I learned. Um, and to get Tom onto your podcast, I don't know, man, you see those TikTok challenges where it's like, if this gets over a thousand likes or something like pose a challenge to your community at large to get Tom on, maybe see if there's like a viral response that'll get him uh, interested um, or create, uh, create a TikTok challenge around him <laughs> or something like that. What if we did like the Tom from MySpace lookalike challenge? Oh, that would be interesting. Not every, uh, not everyone could pull it off. Oh, I got to think about this. There, there's a there's a way that we could do this. I'm not savvy with TikTok, admittedly. Like I'm still in the learning phase right now. I'm in a very introductory phase when it comes to that platform. TikTok is great. It is a, I will say personally for me, sometimes it can be a bit of a time suck, but that just kind of shows like how effective of a channel it is that it keeps my attention uh, for as long as it does. Um, but yeah, uh, in terms of like the, the lookalike contest, um I don't know it's almost like one of those things where like you you know trade a pin up to a house where it's like you keep changing up the toms until you get to the real one see if people can like figure it out until you get to the ultimate tom um oh I don't know I don't know I think the viral viral shout out could be something yeah I think that's our only play because it's hard you can't get to him directly like he doesn't have a website he doesn't have yeah. Um, a social media that he's active on he doesn't have an email address I can I can get like there's just no like direct good way to reach out to him I know maybe you can just reach out to uh I was thinking of other MySpace famous people but he's the only one. Oh, I've tried but, already so yeah. <laughs> we're on that step right now yeah I'm just trying to get like other people who are in like similar echelons to shout out to Tom to join your network you yeah. know can't really, is he on Twitter? I don't know. I, I don't he is, know. but he posts rarely. Mm, interesting. I feel like I personally wanted him to be the next CEO of Twitter, but that's my um, unbiased uh, um, opinion there. Uh, Twitter, yeah. Um, yeah, man, I'll, I'll, I'll probably talk to you about this offline and see if we can come up with other ideas. A strategy. Like, we'll build a social media yeah, strategy. But Just center on people's names or Tom. <laughs> <laughs> ideas for tom and then we'll just have a whiteboard i'll put it that'd be kind of cool i could put it in the back like you know as our backdrop for the podcast so other famous toms to get on your on your podcast tom cruise uh yeah. other tom who's another famous tom tom Selleck. oh no i have to put a lot yeah. of thought to that i only <laughs> think of the tom so when i hear the name tom it goes just directly to his picture in a white shirt so i'd have to put a lot of thought to it he's iconic he's commoditized his own name but we are on at times. So Danny, thank you so, so much for stepping in once again. A great B2B knowledge. You know, this is something that, 
I think we should do it again. You know, there'll be some more subjects in the B2B space. Uh, we can have you on, uh, kind of have some more roundtables. And I know Jess is probably really, really happy listening right now because uh, um, you did a fantastic job stepping in here today, taking just a, a wide range of topics. And, you know, if you'll have us, we definitely want to have you on again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any of the things we talked about, we can kind of go on for like we just talked about content and creative for a full hour. That yeah, sure could fill up. Oh yeah, that, that's my heartstrings <laughs> right there. So thank uh, you again, Danny. Thank you to our listeners. Wait for us about two weeks, probably for the next episode. I'll have some updates on the LinkedIn page. If you're not on the LinkedIn page, you should be there. Um, and then again, Marketing Podcast Network, where we're being hosted now. Be sure to bookmark the page. But until then, we'll see you again in two weeks. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Danny. Thanks, Andy. It's been great. Bye. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Danielle Wiley hosts a great podcast called The Art of Sway. Danielle, tell us what you talk about on the show. The Art of Sway brings listeners inside the world of marketing as seen through the lens of influence. So each week I chat with an expert guest for a lively discussion about connecting ideas with audiences in an attempt to uncover all the ways influence impacts how and what we discover, purchase, and recommend to each other. Wow. And where can people subscribe? Go to theartofswaypodcast.com, find the show at marketingpodcasts.net, or search for The Art of Sway wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.